Welcome to the final episode in the first season of Beer Prime's Iconic Beers. So we've reached the end of the first season of Iconic Beers with this episode 6 and it's all about Wiper and True's Milkshake. We'll be learning all about the beer from Michael Wiper and getting opinion on the beer from beer writer and beer shop owner Jules Gray, plus Colin Gillam, who runs tours at both Longman Brewery and Hukins Hops. First off, I caught up with Michael Wiper, who was so committed to recording our chat on time that he stopped by the side of the road on his cycle home from the brewery. My first question to Michael was when did the brewery start brewing the beer? Uh, so we first brewed this fairly early on in our lifetime. It must have been 2014 or 15, I think. The first idea was to be a kind of very low ABV, very light, fluffy, thick milkshake-like stout. So it was going to be, I think it was 3.5% was the first attempt. And it was back in a time in the business where we we didn't have a core range and every beer that we made was different. It was a constant set of new new beers. And I thought it would never come back. <laughs> However, the good sales and the great word of mouth about the beer changed their plans. But Michael still wasn't sure. To be honest, we, I, I wasn't that happy with it. Like it was good enough, and it, but it didn't quite hit the markers. I wanted it to, and I wasn't expecting like an amazing reception for it. But it, it was this amazing response where we started getting phone calls to the brewery from customers and, um, and consumers being like, well, where, where can we get that again? We, we, we want to try that beer. So that, it was the first beer we ever repeated and because it kind of piqued my curiosity and I thought, okay, I didn't actually nail that one. I've, I've still got ideas that I want to make it better. And so we, we made it again and released it again and it was better, but it still wasn't quite where I wanted it to be. And again, thought that would be the end of it, but it, we kept on getting more phone calls and more emails asking for it. So it became a bit of a kind of a, a bit of a battle for me that I was determined to win. And it really, it really got me hooked that cycle happened 27 times and the it, we kept on changing it and I kept on not being quite happy for it. And it, it was interesting. We all get beers to take home at the brewery and the, the only ones that were, that were left on the shelves were the milkshake beers. We weren't that happy with it at Wipe and True, but it had become our number two seller um, after Pale Ale and it was become quite an important thing for us. And But I, I made the call to to stop selling it. And then was sat down by a head of sales at the time. He's like, please, can you have one more go? <laughs> just just try again. So we we did. We got we got everyone around the table, got the whiteboard out and started from scratch and and tried to forget what the the bits that were maybe attending us in the wrong direction and try and focus on what was working well about it. And um one of the things that we had done in between was we'd made a special edition for a festival, which was we'd called Hard Shake, and it was a six percent version and when i remember being at the festival and drinking that i was like this is this is so much closer to what i've always imagined it to be and i think one of the parts in the success of it was admitting defeat that it it couldn't be we couldn't get it to be that kind of the body we wanted and the thickness we wanted and the flavor depth that we wanted from it being a kind of three and a half percent stout which are which are quite delicate so one of the big parts of the rewrite was making it 5.6 and pushing the ABV up and that just carries so much weight to it in terms of what the flavor can deliver. And that allowed us to put more vanilla and more cacao and 
um, play with different malts that could that could carry more flavour. Um, so we did that and we tasted it in tank, batch twenty eight, and we really liked it. And we've never changed the recipe since. So batch twenty eight was the winner. If at first you don't succeed, try twenty seven times more. But why was it that the public still love the beer, even while the brewery were trying to perfect it and were really not convinced about it? Yeah, we, we've always been quite curious about this beer because Bristol's traditionally a cider city and you know, very kind of dry farmhouse ciders. It's, it's the opposite end of the flavour spectrum to a kind of very rich, velvety, um, decadent milk stout. Um, but Bristol has always had a tradition of it. So they, I think they, were, they started in the... 1800s and every every bristol brewery had one for a long period and um, so there's obviously something that resonates with people i think for us what we get a lot of is i think when, when i came on the podcast last we talked about the the founding principle of business this thing where people said to us i don't usually like beer but i like this and we still get that with milkshake quite a lot it's a it's the kind of people are so surprised by it and i think there is still a lot of perception around stouts based around Guinness and the kind of dry, roasty, um, quite assertive flavours. And I think the sort of delight and surprise from people who are a bit nervous about getting into that and then they get this very chocolatey, very almost dessert-like stout that is really easy drinking and very kind of easy set of flavour profiles that you don't necessarily expect in a beer that's always captured people's imagination. I think the name helped at the beginning um, calling it milkshake that was before all the like milkshake IPAs and things and it just I think it sparked something we'd already established that since batch 28 the recipe hasn't changed but what is the recipe what is a typical brew day of milkshake like so there's it's the most complex malt bill that we have so we um, there's eight different malts in it ranging from pale ale malts right through to uh, roasted barley to make it, which is the dark and roasted malt that makes it black. And then we have everything in between where we've gone for like really caramelly malts. The the key to the flavor profile of milkshake is not to be too fruity. We don't want any any fruit being put forward. So we kind of avoid any of the malts that bring the kind of apricotty or prune-like flavors. And we go for the more kind of caramel and burnt sugars. And uh, we use our house yeast for it, which depending on how you use it, could be quite neutral and then we load it with cacao and vanilla the vanilla that we use is quite interesting so we as the brewery we always use the finest ingredients and we go for like the the best source stuff we can and that's the same with the cacao like it's really high quality fair trade organic cacao um and we do the same with the vanilla but we did we've done so much vanilla testing over the last eight years and i found that the highest quality vanilla is too subtle and it's too it's a really beautiful flavor when you take vanilla pods and try and extract the flavor but you get this kind of you get tobacco-iness and you get leather and you get a bit of chocolate and all these kind of things that are, are amazing but they don't sort of trigger the right point in your brain <laughs> to recognize it and we, we've all grown up with like you know mcdonald's vanilla milkshake and cheap vanilla and marshmallows and that kind of thing and actually what we found is that you need a little bit of that to to make the flavors come together so it's the only product where we have this amazing ingredients but that we do actually buy like it's, it's still like good essence but it's kind of uh it's the more synthetic end of the flavor profile that we just need the little hint of it to bring everything together and it sort of smooths out the chocolate and and 
um, and roastiness and makes it makes it come together in a way that works in your brain and on your palate. And how about the hops? Uh, so he's Bramling Cross, a British hop, and a, and a really interesting hop called Phoenix. So it's a again it's a British hop that it, it has very different flavor descriptors than most hops, where they usually talk about citrus or berry notes or something like. That. This is like chocolate, and um, there's a bit more sort of hedgerow and chocolatey, and it, it, yeah, it's a very very cool hop. Sounds like the perfect hop for the beer. One last question to Michael, and that was. Is there anything else you'd like us to know about the beer? It doesn't get left on shelves anymore in the brewery. We all drink it and love it and are very proud of it. That's carried on going. I mean, the, it now what, the other thing that still amazes us, it's a number two seller after Kaleidoscope, which is a 4.2% pale ale. And even in the summer, it does really well for us. And we are, we are still as surprised about that as anyone else would be. Very interesting stuff there. And it just goes to show that even with a beer flying out of the door of the brewery, it's not necessarily so that the brewers are happy with the outcome. Michael and the team at Wiper and True are perfectionists to the last, and they finally got to the point where they believed they'd nailed it. I went in search of some opinion of the beer from others. First up was Jules Gray, a writer and owner of Sheffield's Hop Hideout. So yeah, Wiper and True's milkshake has just got a lot of memories for me because I think think it came out uh, in probably about 2014 because I just opened Hop Hideout in um, the year before and I'm pretty sure we started selling bottles of uh, Wiper and True's milkshakes out uh, around that time so they came in a big 500 ml bottle um, and it was quite rare to find like a regular milk stout and it's one of those styles of beer that people have a real nostalgia for um, and, you know, that follows through, you know, up until um, now. So they, they still have that as a core beer. Um, you know, it'll be 10, you know, nearly 10 years next year. And it's just such a lovely um, beer style and the way that they do it as well. It's just got that lovely dark chocolate, roasted coffee, you know, caramelized sugar. It's quite indulgent, you know, velvety smooth. Um it has been tweaked and tinkered and refined over the years, so it's definitely got a more vanilla note to it. Um, and they've definitely amped up some of the chocolate, some of the um, sort of cocoa-rich notes, um, which, I mean, I think is great if you're a brewery doing a regular beer like that. You know, you're going to um, spend time investing and tweaking and tinkering with it until you've really got it to that to that level i mean now you find it in can my probably first memory of it was was trying it more on um probably even cask back then um but it was great in bottle uh it's just always been a really um reliable tasty uh not too strong uh sort of rich dark beer because it's funny now people think about pastry stouts don't they if you were to see a, a milkshake stout you might assume it was a maybe a, a stronger, um, richer um, kind of pastry stout style, but um, it's nice that this that they've kept this as just a, a sort of a, an early doors uh, pastry. Let's let's say you know, obviously it's got lactose in there, so it gets you get that sweeter um, note from it. It, um, it being that milk stout style. Um, but it's a delicious beer. I didn't stock it in the shop for ages. Um, 
And then I just recently uh, got it back in and remembered why it's such a good beer and why so many people um, still love it and still ask for it and, um, you know, are still happy to to buy it and to drink it and enjoy it. After getting Jules opinion on the beer, I spoke to Colin Gillam, a tour guide at Longman Brewery and Hukin's Hops. Well, you know, it's a, as a, as an iconic beer, it, it delivers on every front, really. Um, I think the, I think for most people the, the the concern is it's it's milkshake so it's going to be a it's going to be a big big cloying sweet mass of a thing uh, and it's anything but you know you 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 put your you put your nose in it's clearly a stout um, and it's got all of those amazing characteristics of a stout uh, smokiness coffee the chocolate everything you know and a really good bit of finish but it's all rounded off with the with with the milk you know with the you know the fact that it is a milk stout and it's just it's just absolutely everything you need it to be decadent without it being too mad um you know really good it's, and it's clearly taken a long time to perfect um you know it, it you know it's, and it's a real testament to the guys at wiper and true that they've they've pulled it off however it you know sticking your nose in the glass at, at, at the start it gives us gives all of us homebrewers a little bit of hope because there's a there's a, it's clearly a stout and I can see similarities with 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 what I've brewed in the past um, using lactose but that's obviously where the similarity ends. Thanks, Colin. So all this talk of a decadent, indulgent, easy drinking stout full of chocolate, coffee, caramel, vanilla—the cheap stuff—and it's velvety smooth and a lovely bit of finish, sweet but not cloyingly so. Well, all that talk, it's got me in the mood to try the beer. So I have a can in my hand. Let's dive in. Wow, that looks amazing. The color is, I wouldn't say not necessarily like a deep black, but more of a very, very, very dark red. Uh, it's a beautiful beige head on it too, which has remained firm since pouring. Now let's have a look at the aroma, or rather a sniff. It's got some licorice, uh, that chocolatey note, and a bit of leather. Now, I'm going to have a few sips and I'll come back to you. The chocolate and the sweetness of the lactose are the first things that come at you. The vanilla essence is there too, and Michael is right that it balances the beer. It's extremely smooth, the mouthfeel is decent, befitting of a 5.6% beer. And Colin is so right that it's a pleasant level of sweetness, not a cloying monster. It's extremely drinkable. After pausing to have a few sips, I've actually got halfway down the glass in no time at all. Although 5.6 isn't a massive ABV, I'm not even detecting that much. Um, it's an absolutely masterful beer from the team down in Bristol. And I'm off to swiftly dispatch the other half of the glass. Thanks to Michael Wiper, Jules Gray and Colin Gillam for their input into this episode. It's the last one of the season, but I definitely will do a season two. Let me know what you thought of this season, maybe which beers you preferred, and perhaps you might have some ideas for season two's beers. You can let me know on Speakpipe. That's the best way to do it. Just go to speakpipe.com forward slash beer prime and hit start recording and you can record a voice message for me. 
I'm really keen to hear your thoughts. Likewise, leave a message there if you want to comment on the main podcast, which is back from the summer break in two weeks' time with Greg Hobbs of Five Points Brewing Company. Thanks so much for listening. Cheers.